Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. Has this ever happened to you when you're reading the Bible, where you're reading through Scripture and your frame of mind when reading it is to look at Scripture as something that's readily equipped to remove the dust from people's eyes? The Scripture is supposed to be convicting, and we think, wow, what clarity is in this Scripture? What clarity do we have in our Bible? And that's fantastic. And we read the Bible thinking, what a miracle to have this clarity to be able to share with other people so that the fogginess in their own eyes might be taken away. But then we'll continue reading and come across a certain set of scripture, a certain certain piece of information, where suddenly that, that equipped to clear the dust from people's eyes suddenly becomes a command to remove the plank from our own eyes. And we realize, man, I might need to go back a few chapters and read that to see how it applies to me. I do this all the time, depending on how you're reading. Maybe you're reading just for the historical nature of the narrative in the Bible. Maybe you're reading to clarify some point in your own mind, and then once it's clarified, you think, good, I think I've got it now. But often we don't let the Scripture convict us or command us, not actively anyways. We do try and live our lives according to what the Bible says, but rarely, I think, at least in my my experience, do I read the Bible looking for something to convict me or to prick my conscience on what I should do. And this happened to me the other day as I was reading through Psalm 24. And this is a song that I, I know very well. I've, I've sung the song often with a good friend of mine, Chad Browning, that works at the home office. And it's a great psalm. I can, every time I go to it, I can read it um, almost by heart because the song that I've sung is word for word, right what it says in the Bible. But I've read it and thought... Yeah, that's a great psalm. That's a great psalm that David wrote here. But I rarely let it convict me. One part of that psalm says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? And then it goes on to answer, He who has clean hands and pure heart. And in the past, my response has been, That's right. That's us. The clean-handed, the pure-hearted. Look at us go. That's where we're going to be standing because we are that thing. But if you keep on reading the Bible, eventually you'll get to the book of James, where James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And suddenly it becomes a command that you need to be convicted of, not just something that you read and say, that's me. It's describing me right there. But something you say, wow, he's talking to me because I'm not that as fully as I should be. And this word here, when he says double-minded, is dipsychoi. It means double soul, double spirit, or wavering. Half in, or half out, or even half-hearted. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the sin of half-heartedness. It's the sin that disrupts global powers. It's the sin that makes God sick to his stomach. And it's the sin that makes our discipleship no longer effective discipleship. And we read about this in Psalms and Proverbs all the time. I praise you with my whole heart. I trust in you with my whole heart. Or Jesus Christ says to love God with all of our heart. And we think, yeah, I I think I do that. 
But it must be harder than it actually seems because it reminds us to do it over and over and over again. So have we examined our hearts to make sure that our hearts are fully trying to follow God? Because discipleship is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ one after the other. It's not to be near him or to be kind of close by. It's not to be roughly seeing where he's headed and then deciding where we go from there. It's to take one step exactly in the spot where Christ laid his foot down. That's what we're called to. All in or all out. If you would turn with me to Matthew 8. Matthew 8, and we'll look at a few examples of that call to discipleship. Matthew has a number of examples of of Jesus talking to other people about following him. Particularly in, in Matthew 8, there's two right next to each other. Matthew 8, and we'll start reading in verse 18. It says, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart on the other side. Verse 19, Then a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This is great, right? This guy seems all in. He's ready to follow Christ. But then Jesus' comment to him shows us where this man's heart is because Christ knows the heart. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And nothing more is said in that, in that part of Scripture because Jesus Christ knew this man's heart. He was ready to follow Christ to a certain extent. He was ready to go from town to town. He was ready to have crowds following with him. He was not ready to be homeless. He was not quite ready to be uncomfortable and dirty and grimy. He wasn't ready to follow Christ to that extent. Then it keeps on going to another example. Then another of his disciples, this is someone already following Christ, so it's a disciple of Christ, said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So this is a person that has heard Christ teach before, probably followed him within his little town and woke up each morning to go and check out what what Jesus had to say and was ready to follow him if Jesus would just allow him just this little bit of time. But both of these people didn't understand the urgency, or maybe maybe they didn't understand that, that there is inconvenience that comes with following Christ, but still they didn't understand the necessity of following him. One was double-minded because he valued comfort over following Christ. And one was double-minded because he valued earthly responsibility over following Christ. And not any of these things can be used as reasons for compromise. If you drop down just a little bit to the next chapter in Matthew 9, depending on how it lays on your Bible, I guess. I don't know if it's down or if it's up, page over. But in chapter 9, we look at another example of Christ calling someone to follow him. And it's much less of a story this time. There's mu- it's much less interesting. It's much, l- much less singular. We kind of read past it. But in its simplicity, I think we can see a very, very good example of what our discipleship should look like. Matthew 9 and verse 9 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Period. That's it. Where was Matthew's bargaining? or his questioning, or his concern for what was going to happen. It wasn't there. There's not a story here. There's a call, and there's an immediate answer, because it's Jesus Christ that asked him to follow him. An immediate answer. And we see this throughout the Bible. Disciples leave boats, 
Prophets leave farms and they burn the equipment. Paul left respect and position. Abraham left home. And Moses left wealth. And martyrs have left life. But every single one of them did that in order to follow Christ step by step, exactly to where he was going. And these actions are nearly impossible to do with half a heart. Nearly impossible. You can begin to follow Christ with half a heart, as those two men did previously. One probably heard him speak and thought, this is a guy worth listening to. He began to follow Christ, but he couldn't finish following Christ. Eventually, where your heart wants to take you and where Christ wants to take you are going to diverge. There's going to be two paths there, and you're going to have to choose. All in here or all in there. You can't do it half-heartedly. It doesn't just take works to show faith. It takes faith to fully and completely do the work of following Jesus Christ. Peter, as an example, had faith enough to leave the boat where the rest of the disciples didn't quite have it, right? Christ called him out, and immediately he jumped out of that boat. But he didn't have faith to follow through. And so what was the conclusion said about Peter? Oh, you of little faith. He wasn't all in at that moment. And we see that with Peter throughout until about the end of the gospel where Peter's finally, he finally gets it. But he, man, he wanted to follow Christ fully with that half of his heart, but not fully with all of his heart. Turn with me to Matthew 15. We'll see what Jesus Christ says about these people that follow him with half a heart. Matthew 15, we'll start reading in verse 7. This, granted, is Christ talking to the Pharisees. So this is a little bit different, but I don't think it's something that can be ignored as saying, well, this is what Christ said to those people specifically, this cultural group. This is what Christ says to those who are half-hearted. Matthew 15, verse 7, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So these people spoke with God. They were right there physically face-to-face with Jesus Christ. They honored God and they worshiped God, but their heart was far from God. And so it was to no effect. It didn't, it didn't mean anything. It wasn't good enough. And this double-mindedness, this double-heartedness, is what creates that lukewarm attitude that Christ spits out of his mouth. This is what creates it right here, where you're half in and you're half out. Turn with me to one final scripture, 2 Chronicles verse 25. I mentioned earlier that this half-heartedness disrupts global powers, and it definitely does. 1 Chronicles 25. First Chronicles 25, verse 1, says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Good job, Amaziah, right? He did it. He did what was right. But what's the next part say? But not with a loyal heart. There's a caveat there. He went through the motions but he wasn't wholehearted about it. And so what happened to him? Later on in the story, verse 27, after the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, which is what happens if you're half-hearted, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. He fled to Lachish, and they sent after him there and killed him there. This guy's life did not end well. He was not with God. He did not walk with God his whole life. His half-heartedness came to a point where his heart wouldn't follow where God was leading, 
and he made a choice to go the other way. And that ended his life and his rule. In other places of the Bible, we hear that you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other, honor one and despise the other. I don't think anyone here despises God. I don't think anyone in the world would say, well, some people in the world maybe. There's a pretty corrupt world we live in. But anyone with a genuine attitude towards God wouldn't say, I despise him. But it's much easier to say, I don't despise him, but I'm waiting to see where he leads me. Or to even subconsciously have half a heart about it. And sooner or later, that path, like I said, is going to fork, and you're going to have to be all in or all out. Absolutely. So we need to read the scripture in light of what it's saying to us. We can't look at the Pharisees and read about them and turn our noses up and say, that horrible group of people. We need to read the Pharisees and say, how am I like that? And how do I fix it? We can't read the kings who either did what's right or what's wrong, but not with, or what's what's right with a whole heart or didn't do it right at all. We can't read them and say, that's a good lesson from history. We need to say, how do we apply that today? How does that convict us right now to lead our lives with a full heart in following Christ? We can't read that Christ vomits lukewarm people out of his mouth and be sad for those people. We need to check the temperature that we're at right now, not because of just COVID, but our spiritual temperature. Are we lukewarm Are we on fire for this? Are we all in, wholehearted? We can't read stories of discipleship in the gospel and applaud the efforts of people that went before us. We need to make sure every single day that we're doing the exact same. And we can't read the book of Psalms or Proverbs about the pure-hearted entering the kingdom of God and not take that as a command from God to do the same so that we can purify our hearts and cleanse our hands so that we can be sure we're on that narrow path for that kingdom. So I encourage you today, and I'd love for you to encourage me as well, as we kind of bear with one another, as we walk towards that kingdom together, I would encourage you to read your Bible actively and look for those convicting parts that show you how we're supposed to live our lives, to examine ourselves through the lens of what the Bible says so that we can follow, our, follow him with our hearts wholeheartedly. Have a good Sabbath.